You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me today is Matt Sefton. And Matt Sefton is uh, an, an engineer who is a former technical evangelist for Apple. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and what his perspective is on some of the news coming out of WWDC 2016. Cool. Matt, go ahead and, and introduce yourself properly because I've, I've done a very <laughs> terrible job of it. I think that was fine, Victor. Um, yeah, I mean, my name's Matt, um, a former Apple technic- technology evangelist. And um, Victor, you just asked me a moment ago what exactly that means. And um, I was talking about the fact that uh, over in the UK, we don't really use the term evangelist uh, or evangelism very much at all. But I think it's, uh, it's a bigger thing over in the States. Uh, whenever I'd introduce myself in meetings it would always raise a smile or a giggle or two and uh, get things off to a good start um, as you mentioned also earlier on uh, the first evangelist at apple was guy kawasaki um, i had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of years ago actually a uh, thoroughly nice guy and um, i think most most teams within apple will have access to an evangelist um, we, within the corporation we would focus on specific uh, areas of the business. So for me, that was uh, web technologies, advertising technologies, and related tools. Um, but you know, other people that I know may specialize in graphics technologies or uh, games technologies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And is that an an outward facing role to try and spread the word about uh, those those sort of technologies to? people outside of Apple or is it Absolutely. trying to, to champion them inside? What, what's that? Uh, it's both actually. So, um, I mean, uh, the obvious meaning of the word is to, is to, you know, sing and praise a particular thing. So, uh, yeah, I would take the, the word of the technology and out to businesses, agencies, brands, and so on. Uh, and also internally, um, for the teams that I supported internally, I would use my expertise and the area of knowledge that that uh, I was focusing on to help them do their jobs better as well. And advertising is an interesting one because a- Apple had the iAd platform, mm-hmm. which is is now I think discontinued. That's right. Yeah, well, I think um, part of it is yeah. Um, I think the news broke in January about uh, the network side of things being winding down uh, around about now. Um, maybe the end of the month. Um, it goes on still in news, and uh, I imagine the, the recently announced search ads product is goes some way to uh, being a continuation of, of what those guys were doing. Okay. Now, let's get to it, because the uh, event, and I rewatched the keynote yesterday afternoon, mm. was just a very large event. It was packed full of stuff. Let's unpack that a little bit for me, will you? Cool. Yeah, I mean... For me, uh, it's a bit of a shame that I wasn't there this year. I would have liked to have seen the new venue. Um, to fit that many people in one room is something that I feel that has been needed for quite a while. Um, that would have been nice to see. Um, and then obviously the just the sheer amount of information they packed into those two hours and uh, the pace at which uh, they covered everything off, uh, for me, was astonishing to, to see. 
um, it just felt like they'd really hit their stride. And uh, yeah, it's just brilliant, brilliant to see it. Yeah. And the, the pace of it was kind of staggering for me mm. because if you didn't pay attention, you would miss <laughs> these little one-liners that went by. And they were things like the fact that, that the notes application, both for uh, for iOS and for macOS, I expect, is now a collaborative application. Yeah. You, you can have multiple people working in a note at the same time. Yeah, absolutely amazing. You know, and uh, I wasn't and that, aware of anything that was going to be talked about uh in the conference. Um, but on the flip side, I had to rewatch it to catch things like that because uh, it passed me by on the first listen. Yeah, there's just one liners thrown mm. in there. And by the way, it's collaborative. And, and then he goes on to the next thing. And, and you know, I'm scratching my head saying, how many of these things are in here <laughs> you know, that we that, missed? That's right? it. You know, taking screenshots of, uh, of those slides where it has a uh, hundred different technologies scattered around the, the screen, you know, just to try and get a, a quick glimpse of or a peek at uh, at what might be coming up later on in the week. Oh yeah, we we've posted those screen grabs on the Apple Insider website, mm -hmm. and yeah, that's right. I was looking at them and trying to figure out because. So one of the things that I'm I'm personally interested in is HomeKit. Mm. Um, I have many HomeKit devices in my house. I like them very much, and looking at that, um, you know, they have HomeKit air conditioners listed, and they have HomeKit accessories listed. Mm. And I don't know if HomeKit accessories refers to the same kind of products that I'm using today or something different. Mm. And, you know, we classically think when we're talking about aircon, we talk about the thermostat because that's what controls the user interface to the aircon. Mm -hmm. But they've listed air conditioners separately, separately. and called it out like that. Interesting. You know, mm. I, I don't know if they're talking about HomeKit compatible um, window air conditioners or something else. The the other thing that was really intriguing to me was that they've got they, they they showed four home builders that they said are building HomeKit right into homes. Okay. So now I've got to ring up a builder and start finding <laughs> what on earth they're building. Yeah, maybe maybe we should all buy new houses so we can get that in uh, straight off the bat. <laughs> I, I think we must. Yeah. Um, another one that uh, that jumped out at me, and again, it was a, a kind of small point in the the initial uh, keynote and and. State of the Union uh, presentation, but as we can see through the week, that more and more information has been discovered and and uh, learned about it in sessions. Is the new file system coming from Apple? You know, the real nerdy side of me can't wait to take a look at that and and well, see how it lines up against HFS. And I'll be interested to hear what you have to to say about it because. Mm. You know, we've been watching Apple Explorer file systems for some time now. They they had HFS and HFS Plus, and then they added journaling. And then they brought over the fellow whose name escapes me, forgive me, but he, he's the fellow who was in charge of the, the BFS file system at B. Okay. Right? Yeah, I'm not aware of him, actually. And well, I'll, I'll find him in a moment. Mm. But um, there was also the exploration with, uh, with ZFS for a while, or ZFS, as you'd say. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading, uh, even as an Apple employee, reading John Syracuse's uh, monstrous tomes uh, reviewing each version of OS X. Um, and I know for a, a while he was a real um, supporter that a new file system was needed. Uh, I did see a photograph of him taken at Dub Dub. Um, at the moment, he found out that that a new file system had, had was actually arriving. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen that photo, but he, uh, I, it was at the end of an era when he stopped putting together those, those tomes of, of summaries of the new operating systems. 
It really was uh, kind of freed up a little bit of time in my life, but it, but uh, I would much rather still had him around doing that. Yeah, I, I think it was Dominic Gimpolo who um, went over to Apple to do the file system. Okay, I'm not not entirely positive, but I think it that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it, you know, for for a while, it looked as if we were going to get ZFS as the file system, and uh, and then we didn't. Yeah, yeah, Dominic Gimpolo is the. Uh, person who developed the B file system for B operating system, and he's currently at Apple. Right. I mean, the, the ZFS news, you know, I think that was actually, I was at Apple for three years, and I think that was all being talked about before I started at Apple. So I'm, yeah. I'm familiar with those rumors, that's for sure. Yeah. So the, the point of the new file system, we may as well talk about it, is um, that everything is faster everything is more secure and it's a 64-bit file system so you can have a lot larger number of files i think the number begins and, with, and one with of the Q. things <laughs> although i can't pronounce yeah. it quint quintillion something like that yeah it's it's a very large number with with very and large capitalized the um but but one of the things that i think is interesting is is we know that apple has a sincere focus on privacy and they, they aren't afraid to express that. And I believe this file system allows for individual file level encryption. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've not finished reading about it, but um, in a nutshell, I think that it's just a more modern file system is, is automatically uh, straight away going to be a lot more relevant, a lot more, um, as you say, performant and uh, secure. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I'm going to install on my test ma- test machine, uh, Sierra, just to have a poke around and see what that's capable of. But just just the fact that it's based on mo- the modern technology we have in computers, that you know SS- SSD drives um, rather than HFS, which has been around I think eighteen or so years and was invented. Oh no, it's it's longer than that. Longer right? than that. Okay, okay, yeah. You um, know, it's it's crazy, isn't it, that we've been using it for so long. <laughs> Well, the, well, the original HFS came from 1985. Wow. Okay. And and HFS, HFS Plus followed Plus, on yeah. much later. Uh, yeah, I think that's 18 years ago, that one. Mm-hmm. So I think um, to take advantage of, of solid-state storage, uh, there are a lot of things that the file system would have to do uh, today that those older file systems were kind of coaxed into doing. Um, so I think a fresh start is, for me... Uh, overdue and also i think quite uh, a lot of work must have gone into it to get it to a position where it's actually um you know ready for a beta that's for sure yeah now one of the things that i've i've watched and was interested in but am somewhat concerned about was the uh, the notion that apple wants to move my old files into the cloud mm. right there's there's uh, and, and it's it's file system related but it's also cloud services related and they, and they mentioned that this was going to be a possibility that besides synchronizing files across everyone's desktops or, or computers, as it were, that the, um, the the old files would be taken to the cloud to reserve space on the laptop. Sure. Um, you know, if, you, if you've ever done any kind of IT support or Mac help with any of your family, you'll know that more often than not, the computers are, you know, kind of tight on space or they've got lots of duplicate files or unused files hanging around and you're being generous uh, yeah i think <laughs> i think one of the favorite times at least with with some of my family one of the favorite pastimes is to reorganize things try and regain a bit of space here and there you just you only have to look on the 
the charts in the Mac App Store to see that more often than not, the top of the either the, th- the free or the paid chart is more often than not a an app that is there to help people try and regain space on their on their computers. So for that to become a, a system level technology, um, you know, it's it's only going to be better for the user in the end. And I think that's that was one of the prevailing topics of of what was announced in the keynote is there was so much being done in these new versions of everything that that is just to make people's lives easier and to to have them spend the time on their computer in a, in a fun way rather than uh, carrying out administrative tasks or maintenance. So let me ask, what, what really stood out to you? What, what spoke to you as one of the key things that came out of this keynote? I think for me, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of seam running through all of the operating systems, all four platforms, but mainly iOS and, and MacOS, uh, were extensions are now going to be used to kind of widen the remit of of an app um you know you might think that the app store has been along for for several years now and apps perhaps over time can do enough but maybe reached a a kind of time where it's maybe plateaued a little bit in terms of the technologies i mean of course apple released new apis and technologies every year um but for me this year with extensions being everywhere almost, um, whether that's providing an interface in in iMessage on iOS or inside of Maps uh, to provide driving directions and and those types of things, for me, uh, that's just a real a real moment for app developers to to gain control of more of the operating system than than their kind of siloed app can do anyway. Um, I think we'd be seeing some really cool stuff with this, definitely. Yeah, and and do you recommend that our listeners wait until the till the fall when things are released, or or do you recommend that they become daring and participate in the the beta programs? What's what's your take on that? Uh, well, per, I mean, personally, I would only ever install it on a test device because it is a a beta test uh, version of the operating system. Uh, some people I can understand uh, maybe can't wait. Um, I took a look on Twitter late last night and there were a few people who uh, perhaps had obtained the beta through um, less reputable means. Uh, maybe, you know, they got friends to sign them into uh, their developer account and got a hold of it that way. Um, but they obviously hadn't seen the web page where you download it themselves, where there's a big warning saying that you have to in- install Xcode 8 on your Mac um, if you're going to do the update through iTunes, otherwise it won't work. Um, so lots of people complaining of the error that gives you when you don't do that. Um, mm. I think the easier way is to do it with the over-the-air update. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I have, I'm lucky enough to have a test device. So, you know, if people don't have test devices, I think at this point, if you do put it on your device, it's you, you have to understand that it is a work in progress and certain things are missing as as the release notes say, and uh, some things won't work. But on the whole, on my yeah. test device, it's probably the most stable first beta of a of a, an iOS that I've ever seen. Really, that's I mean, that's the, good, the, good to hear. yeah. Given given the things that that have been flagged as known to be missing and known to be not working, uh, other than those things, it's uh, pretty neat. I mean, it looks great as well. Wow. Now, one of the things that I noticed in some of the release notes was that um, 
or at least some of the coverage of some of the release notes, I should say, is the idea that Apple is pushing for HTTPS and and current SSL certificates at web servers. Mm. And and that it, it occurs to me that one of the knock-on effects of that is that if you're an application that goes out and pulls images from all over the internet, like a Twitter app or, or another app that, that does that kind of behavior, that you're going to end up viewing necessarily um, a lot of blank spots because Apple's pushing this encryption now. Sure. Um, I mean... That, and I should that, say yeah. though, the reason they're doing that is because they want for a, they they want for a more secure internet. It's absolutely. not because they're being mean. No, but. no, of course not. I mean, it makes it makes absolute sense. Um, this kind of transport security has been around for a while, actually, a couple of couple of years on uh, on macOS uh, or, or what we're now calling macOS anyway. Um, so for it to come to iOS, if that is the case, then. Um, it's about time, really. You know, there are in the developers' documentation. You can read about um, ways to configure that technology, so it does give you access to certain, um, perhaps disables it for certain servers if you really need it to. Um, so there are ways and means around that. But to use it on the on the main part of your application is definitely a good thing. You know, and and secure certificates for servers now. There are lots of initiatives uh, to bring down the cost of those. Um, especially for small developers, there is a initiatives where you can essentially get those things for free. Now, I, I I know I promised that I wouldn't ambush you with any questions, <laughs> but I I going to ask, and you can tell me no. Sure. Um, is is there an anecdote you can relate about your time at Apple and um, you know some of the challenges that you faced there? I, I understand if the answer is no, I can't talk about that, but I'd, I'd like to hear if you've got one. Anecdotes. Um, let me have a think, and we'll come back to that. But I'll, I'll definitely give you an answer to that. All right. I'm, yeah. Um, what of of the keynote really struck you? What what really resonated with you? I think the the bit that that resonated the most for me was um, it started strong. It started with for me the the platform that needed the most attention or needed the to go off first, which was uh, watchOS, definitely um, some amazing changes in watchOS. And uh, I think for me as, a, as a, an Apple Watch user, those changes are, are all the right changes to make my life with the watch easier and uh, more performant, simpler, uh, more familiar um, with the, the kind of interactions that have come across from iOS. So I think that was the bit that really made me kind of nod my head and, and kind of say finally <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, I, I've got an Apple watch and I don't wear it very frequently um, it, it just wasn't sticky with me and I think that mm. was because the uh, the the idea of notifications on the wrist is something that I can get through a pebble or an Intel basis mm. or one of the others and and works just fine and so the activity the Apple... was good but good good yeah, but before the Apple Watch came out, did you did, were you a regular watch wearer? I'm interested to know. Uh, mixed off and on. Okay. Um, I I will go through bouts where I will wear a traditional mechanical wristwatch mm. for uh, you know a couple of weeks, and then switch to something else. And I have a couple of mechanicals that I rotate through. I have uh, I have two of the uh, I have the original Pebble and the Pebble Steel, mm. and an Intel Basis. And the Intel basis was actually one of the best of them. Okay. Uh, the the basis peak is 
not a bad piece of hardware. Uh, very good heart rate measurement, very good with notifications, and especially being able to dismiss all educate all, all notifications quickly. Where if if you weren't aware of 3D touch and what that interaction is like on the watch, mm. um, on the uh, on the basis peak, it's just simply double tap the screen and it dismisses all of the notifications. Nice, nice. Right with yeah, with I, the watch, you have to intentionally tap and then push harder. And uh, sure, and I'd be interested time. to try out the you know the new uh, the new mechanisms for getting at that on, on Apple Watch. I think you're going back a little bit. You're almost the same as me in that, uh, you know, I historically have worn, um, I don't know whether I'd call them mechanical watches, qu- quartz watches. Um, Tra- traditional watches. Yeah, traditional watches. Um, but with an analog face and, uh, you, you know, that kind of um, dance you have to do every month or two to, to move the date on, which is uh, still what I do when I wear my old old style analog watches. I have, uh, you know, a Scandinavian watch that I love to wear um, and a Swiss watch that I love to wear, and I still wear them every now and again um, because they look so good, um, and I'm a stickler for good design. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, well, you're going to have to send me pictures of your watches now. Right, well, they're, yeah, it's already on, on my Instagram, I think, but uh, I'm happy to do so. <laughs> um, um, it, yeah, so um, th- I think that's probably the, or at least from the people I've talked to, they're always the toughest nuts to crack in 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 terms of watch usage. Are the people who have traditionally worn watches and, and kind of fallen in love with those traditional watches, which was definitely uh, both of us by the sounds of things. And I think for me to to wear my Apple Watch more than I do now would be um, this new software and and the promises that come with that would definitely be uh, difficult to say no to. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed in the watch update was, well, there were two things that really caught my ear. And one of them was that when they, they showed sort of the app switching view of it, it, mm. it looked, I, I thought that I heard a reference to calling that a dock, which seemed unusual to me. Mm. Yeah, and, I, I, I heard the same thing. So, I mean, I've actually not tried it yet because I only have one watch and I'm, I'm not willing to put the, the beta on there. But um, Well, it's a knock-on effect. You have to have iOS, you have to have iOS 10 running on an, an, a phone device, and also, so you have mm-hmm. to have a spare phone and a spare watch. Yeah, that's it. So I'm, I'm going to try and dive into the simulator and see how far I can go with that. Um, obviously, the experience will, won't be quite as as nice, but it at least might let me take a look at uh, those new features of the software. Yeah, one of the things that I saw that, that really caught my attention was the uh, ability to view other people's activity rings. Yeah, great. And and yeah. challenge yourselves, right? You know, the, the traditionally we've had that with the likes of Fitbit and Jawbone Up, and Up has really done a very good job of it. Uh, one of the, one of the better jobs. Mm. And I participated in those kinds of challenges, and, and most recently I had one where I had a Jawbone Up challenge going with some friends, and I sort of dropped out of it when they fell off. And, and the idea of having the rings going and having everyone's rings out there in addition to the, the reminders to breathe and the reminders to, to get up and move mm. does does work for me. It does resonate with me. Yeah, I think that kind of social aspect of the watch and even uh, the kind of social aspect to messages that's also kind of collaborative. If you, I don't know if you watched the, the messages demo in, I think it was the uh, State of the Union uh, platform, State of the Union address. You can. I could send you a picture, and you can modify that and send it back to me. Um, mm. So that kind of social collaboration. Um, you know, we talked about notes earlier on as well. I think it's, it's 
that's just society these days. You know, we want to help each other out. We want to um, it's, it's make a each other society. laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, people who listen to the podcast know that I'm a big fan of Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know, you're, you're in England, so you, you've got it for Oyster Card and you've got it for some retailers. But how widespread is it for you? Well, it's it's pretty much everywhere because um, even before Apple Pay, we had contactless payments. Um, most banks uh, would give you a, a debit or a credit card with a chip embedded in the NFC chip um, that would let you do these kind of contactless payments. So already we were using those kind of payments. Apple Pay just kind of made that easier because there was no card anymore. Just one device that you've got with you at all times. Then when the watch came along, even easier um you know my wife uh, loves to use her apple watch to pay when she gets on public transport because we've just had a baby so she's pushing the pram around um the fact that she doesn't have to go into her bag or go into her pocket she can just swipe the watch uh to make that payment and get on the transport is a real time saver for her yeah one of the things that i was looking for and i was hoping to see but did not see was uh you know, we saw when they were showing us the messages demo that you could use extensions and, for example, pay someone with Square Cash. Mm. And in my experience, you know, I suppose in San Francisco and in San Jose and those areas that Square Cash has has a large amount of adoption and people don't mind doing it or they use Venmo or things like that. Um, I live in a part of America where that hasn't caught on. Yeah, we, do, pay, yeah, we don't have Venmo still the big over thing. here. PayPal, of course, is, is, is everywhere. Um, Square. I'm looking for Apple Pay to beat PayPal. I, I want to be able to send people transactions via messages using Apple Pay. Absolutely, that would be awesome. Um, I'm, we're not there yet. I don't know why. Rome wasn't built in a day, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Come on. I, I saw I saw a really interesting tweet actually about um, you know somebody complained that maybe WatchOS how it is with version three uh, that's just been announced is maybe how it should have been. Uh, when it was launched, and uh, Fraser Spears, uh, who's a, a Scottish guy, he's uh, a real iPad advocate and works in one of the schools up in Scotland that uh, has one iPad per pupil. He he came back with a really good uh, Cedars, I think it is. Okay, yeah, uh, he came back with a really great remark in that um, you know that's like expecting somebody to be born an adult, uh, which really made me laugh. And it's the same thing. Yeah, you know, it would be it would be a great world if if watchOS came out as mature as it is with version three um, on day one. But that's just that's just not how software development works. We we all expect that if you put nine women on a job, you can have a child in one month. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, to, to to Fraser's yeah. <laughs> point, to, to Mr. Mr. Spears' point, you know, honeybees are born fully sized adults you know it's that's interesting why can't ios be done true and, yeah. and actually the human uh, human babies are, are one of the most immature uh when they're born actually as well so um both ends of the spectrum covered off there yeah there, there you have it apple insider listeners we have <laughs> biology and genealogy uh on a on an apple technology on the apple podcast yeah. yeah so um you asked me earlier on about um a tale to tell. I mean, I think one of the one of the most fun tales, and I do know this is true, um, but I don't really know where these these kind of stories start. I mean, I have first hand knowledge of of uh, certain people involved in the story, but um, this is to do with the the box for the iPhone. One of my old uh, former colleagues and friends, um, Tom Crabtree, who now runs a 
a design studio called Manual Creative in San Francisco. He worked on the original box at Apple um, as part of a small team. And the story goes um, that he designed a, an amazing looking box, a kind of like um, monolith. And then there was a second box designed, which had a, a lovely picture of the phone on top. And these boxes were shown to Steve Jobs. And Steve looked at them both, uh, so the story goes, and looked at this monolithic box and, and proclaimed that it was the most beautiful box he'd ever seen, uh, which I'm, I'm sure um, he didn't say lightly. And uh, he said, however, I'm going to take this second box, the one with the picture on the front, because that shows the buyer exactly what they're getting. Um, but now I think the sweet irony is that the the box for the 6 and the 6S um, is pretty much uh, that monolithic box, although in white rather than black. Uh, so I think that's kind of sweet irony that uh, that beautiful box did actually come to exist. Yeah, and I love it when those things do come true. You know, it's we, we don't always get it delivered on the first one, like we were saying about the watch. But if we get it eventually, that's good enough. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you, Matt, very much for participating with me today. Can you tell me where people can find you on the internet? What's Twitter? What's your Instagram? Where should we look for those pictures of your watches? Absolutely. Um, so you can find everything. Uh, my Twitter is gingerbeardman, uh, which is only slightly embarrassing, um, but I've had it for so long I, I can't bear to change it. And my web address is the same as well. Um, and there's a whole bunch of links off there to Medium where I'm currently uh trying to brush up my writing skills by writing about my thoughts on dub dub. Um, and it talks about, you know, what I'm up to now in my, in my days after Apple, um, which is basically, uh, the same kind of things that I was doing whilst I was at Apple, but I'm now doing them for, for anybody who'd like to, uh, like me to work with them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. This has been, uh, Matt Sefton and Victor Marks with the Apple Insider podcast. Thanks, Victor. Cheers. All right. I'm going to press so um welcome to the second portion of the apple insider podcast it's me victor back with mikey campbell apple insider editor what is going down everything no this is this is awesome because you know we've got daniel aaron dilger over at wwdc and he's attending the sessions and he tells me that it's it's like trying to drink from a fire hose that he is overwhelmed with how many cool things are going on so i hear yeah. And it's it's you know he's he's having a hard time processing it all. And one of the things that I noticed in the keynote was just how quickly things came out. Features came that were almost like throwaway lines, right? They just went through them blazingly fast. I mentioned earlier when I was talking to Matt Sefton that that there was one one liner in the notes conversation where he's where the where the presenter said, "Oh, and also notes are collaborative." Mhm. Yeah. What you can have multiple people editing notes real time. What the heck, you know? It's it's crazy, but it kills Evernote, which is awesome. Yeah, I wish they uh, brought that collaborative stuff to more uh, iCloud apps, though. I know well, it's coming, but I, I I don't know. Look, the the collaboration in Keynote and Pages and Numbers has always been a dumpster fire. Mm hmm. It's been a tire fire at the landfill, kind of bad. Yep, they need to bring they need to bring decent iCloud integration to all their to all their first party stuff. Yeah, I mean, but if, is, if, uh, if mopping the floor if right now. Well, you say that, but my thought is this, right? If they've mastered how to do it for Notes, then they've mastered how to do it for those other applications, and simply need to bring it over. And you expect Have they, they will. Have they mastered it? I haven't used it. 
Have you tried well, that? I have not tried notes for iOS 10 yet because I have not yet updated a device of mine to iOS 10. And, I, and you really need to update two in order to collaborate, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the uh, service is not even up and running yet. Who knows? Yeah, but they've said it, and I want to believe it's going to work. Why do I want to believe it's going to work when, when they've had other issues in the past? Because hope springs eternal, Mikey. Indeed. That's just how I feel about it. What were, what were some of the things that really struck you out of the whole keynote? Um, it was interesting that they spent so much time on messages. I know it's, uh, well, they said it's the most used uh, first-party app on iPhone. Um, I believe that. But it, it seems like they're doing, I mean, there was a lot of interesting stuff, especially a third-party integration stuff uh, was good. I'm looking forward to that. I, I feel like that third-party integration stuff is potentially the most viral way of getting your app seen ever. Because if, mm. if you look at the screenshot images, right, first of all, they showed you the messages app store, right, the, the list of things that work there. Yeah. But also, when you, when, when you use a third-party extension for messages, it puts in underneath whatever graphic or thing that it puts in from the you know, blank name app and links to the app in the app store. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so if I send you an animated GIF of your brain exploding, for example, you can tap on that link directly beneath, beneath the animated image of your brain exploding and go get the same app and send me pictures of my animated brain exploding. Of course, it always. I don't. It, it all depends on app discovery and the iMessage app store as well. Right. So, but but I'm what I'm saying is that by having that link there, when someone uses one. That mm. fixes app discovery because you, you've discovered it via someone else already using it and giving you yeah. the link where to go to get it. Yeah. That's kind of huge. I, I agree. I, uh, less huge are the uh, full screen animations and uh, message bubble yeah. things. You, you don't like the uh, – you're not a fan of the Happy New Year? <sighs> I don't look forward to having my messages filled with animations. Maybe because I'm a curmudgeon, but I just don't. I don't know. It, it feels uh, not intrusive, look, but I mean, it's going to be very, very animated, I feel. Okay. So so the way that this goes, right, is that – and it wasn't, it wasn't hidden or anything, right? Uh, many, many parts of the keynote addressed users in China, for example. Mm -hmm. And – replicating features available in other messaging apps. Yep. And f during that demonstration, I was sitting with some people from China or, or people who are Americans and speak Chinese and use WeChat all the time to talk to people back in, in China. And for every one of those features, they said, oh, yeah, just like WeChat. Oh, oh yeah, that does, that's, that's WeChat. Yeah, WeChat does that. And so that's what Apple's doing is, is bringing over those kinds of features so that people in China will adopt messages. Yeah. Now I know you're Japanese, so so it doesn't mean anything to you. But I'm telling you, that's that was the experience that I had sitting and watching the keynote with that kind of an audience. Yeah, well, I mean Apple always does that, though. They always borrow quote unquote features from other stuff. I mean they've and WWDC is traditionally a place where they unveil these borrowed features. But um, I don't know. Some of the stuff feels a little intrusive to me in messages, at least. Some of the stuff is good, though. Uh, responding to other texts with um, with those like kind of instant the, the the sort of like responses. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. That's going to save a lot of time. 
And I do very much like the rich text or uh, rich data in line with the uh, with the message uh, string. So, for mm-hmm. example, you can view videos or you know other 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 integrated asset graphical assets and stuff like that in line, yeah. which is uh, also good because I hate leaving the app or switching between apps. So it's good to see Apple opening up all of their architectures. So there's a lot of uh, cross integration going on. It, there is. And, you know, it, it really felt interesting that they found a way to do that when they are so focused on privacy. Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing something called differential privacy, which allows these things to be communicated without giving up your information. And uh, I think I saw a quote earlier today from a, a university professor who said it was simply outstanding. It was the most interesting thing he's ever seen been done. Interesting. Being able to uh, – to, let me just look that up. It was, it was the notion that he was um, – it was was able to, uh, to to do that kind of sharing and still make these things happen. Um, well, I think uh, the, there was an interesting session posted uh, or the WWDC session that they had on uh, today, so Wednesday, uh, talking about iOS security. Uh, it was kind of like a deep dive into all that kind of good stuff and how it forms a basis of what – Apple is doing on their end, uh, both on device and um, through through their internet services to allow third party developers to have access to such deep integrations. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. You should probably check it out. Um, let's see. I'll try to find that link real quick. But go on. So the the um, you know, we we have a, a page on our site, an, an article we wrote that. Uh, a person named David Silverberg wrote on our site about this differential privacy and said that Aaron Roth, you know, the, the privacy researcher from UPenn came, he said that they were groundbreaking efforts mm-hmm. and um, that, that Apple is the clear privacy leader. And that was in the keynote. And, and it's that kind of thing where someone whose field is this says that what Apple's doing is pushing the boundaries forward is, is reassuring. You know, it's, it's why I don't use an Android device frequently, if at all, because I value that that kind of respect for the privacy, and we were talking about that earlier with uh, with with Matt about how that extends to everything, whether it's the file system that that does file level encryption to you know this example and messages. Right. Well, for reference, the uh, session was hosted by uh, Ivan Kristic, who's uh, Apple's iOS security guru. Um, but yeah, uh, to the to your point of differential privacy. It's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Apple's trying to work uh, work out how to um, obtain the same kind of information on trends and a uh, user trends and um, anonymized data, uh, all, all kinds of stuff that Google has you know been so good at uh, accumulating. Of course, they do it on non anonymized. Um, or very, it's easy to, to accumulate it when it's not anonymized. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're trying to match that technology or that level of insight with safe protocol, or so, or, or what they say is is uh, relatively safe um, data gathering. Like, but uh, as I've said before, uh, I'm not really, I'm not one that is super concerned about companies 
knowing my habits or, you know, getting, getting data. It's not like I opt into stuff like that, but, um, I don't actively. You you don't concern yourself with this like some, some users do. Yeah. I mean, if we really get down to it, um, I don't have a lot of sensitive data going back and forth across the web. Um, well, it, here's the thing, right? It's not that one piece is sensitive. It's that all of this in aggregate explains a very clear picture of who you are. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. Because for me, I, if I, I'm, I'm using the internet, right? I'm on, I'm on uh, say, a, a, Google, a Google service. I want that service to work as best as possible. And um, whether it's Google, Apple, uh, Microsoft, whoever – I'm I'm a little more concerned because we know that uh, former CIA and National Security Administration Director Michael Hayden used to say that you know he what was his direct quote um, he he said that uh, that when he quoted uh, he quoted uh, Counsel Stuart Baker at a recent debate in Johns Hopkins University um, you know he, he raised the point saying we kill people based on metadata mm-hmm. and. You know, metadata is is this little bit of, of data around your actual content data, right? The fact that you called someone for 30 minutes, the fact that you searched for these terms on the internet for all of these kinds of things. And that in aggregate forms a picture of who you are and what you could do. Right. And when when government agencies use that to target you or to target someone and find someone with a match for that kind of profile based on that metadata and yours aligns with it, that's creepy scary. So are we talking about <sighs> – I mean, it's it's a whole so, it's a and, conflation and, and, of different issues. I mean, it's it, it is it, it is a conflation of different issues, but it is that's 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 kind of the thing is that you know if if Google services are subject to those kinds of searches, um, and and they had to harden their stuff so that they wouldn't be subject to man in the middle attacks and kinds of things like uh, SSL spoofing and and other stuff that that we found out was being done, um, e- even if it's innocuous data to you. I am very much pleased that Apple is taking this stance and trying to secure it. What do you have to hide, Victor? Why do you care? <laughs> None of your business. What I do or don't have to hide. It is t- all of my business. Um, no, it's not. Yeah. Go fish. The uh, the government surveillance angle is obviously troubling. Well, it's it's we've Although already feel- seen it's a real problem, not a hypothetical problem, right? Well, I think it's more than a hypothetical problem, but I, I, there, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Who does it fall on though? I mean, are you going to, um, suspend your, your own creature comforts and your own access to, you know, really, really great technology just because of, you know, something that the government is perhaps sloppily implementing? Um, I, make choices about things like that. And I don't have to worry about suspending my use of really great technology when there are technologies that are really great and work to preserve my privacy. Except that technology Except is you just slow coming, slow coming. If you're sticking with one, one platform, you, you, uh, you, you can pick good, fast or cheap. And, and of those good, fast or cheap, you get two mm. it can be good and cheap, but it's not going to be fast. It can be good and fast, but it won't be cheap. What about cheap and fast? It won't be any good. Indeed. What was one of the other things in the keynote that you were interested in? Um, I, I didn't really get to take a second look at it. 
but oh. on the uh, from what I remember from the live stream, um, which I was writing half the time, so I didn't really get to pay close attention as I would have liked. Uh, but all the the Apple Watch improvements, I I feel made the device usable for a greater number of people. Have you tried the uh, beta for that yet? I have. Yes, I have. What do you think of it? It's good. It's good. It's much more intuitive and it's less Apple forcing stuff on you than, you know, offering you a platform for which you can do it with things you want. So for example, or a really good example is the side button is no longer the contacts button. Of course. Um, personally, I didn't, I, I think I probably used the contacts button like three times and that was within the first week of getting my watch just trying it out because messaging people on watch is pretty terrible yeah unless they have you know if, if they have a watch then it's kind of cool you can you know you send it um you can use digital touch and stuff but other than that uh first you know once the novelty of that wore off and uh, a lot of my friends don't have watches so uh apple watches that is so i i didn't really use the contacts button but now that it invokes the dock, which is basically glances. Uh, the, the app switching thing, which is called yeah. dock, which is strange yeah. to me. Yeah. It's kind of like a, it's like a different, it's a, it's like a live glances kind of thing or not live glances. It's like a live, yeah, it is like a live glances. So it's like a combination between an app glance and, um, and the full app. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of like a compromise between those two. So it, it gives you the information, uh, like a snapshot of it. But if you want more, you tap into it and you just go straight into the app from the dock. So I think that's much more useful than, you know, uh, having a dedicated button for what was basically a single app, the, the messages app or messages slash phone combination app. Do, I mean, do you use your, your watch now with, uh, um, do you use it a lot to communicate with people or do you use it mostly as, uh, like as a remote viewing device or, you know, something I like that. primarily use it as a, well, as activities, mm. you know, the, the rings. I, I also use it to reply back to people. Mm. So if, yeah. if so someone texts me or something like that and I can tap yes or no right. or, or use the mic, but using the mic and then having to say, send his text instead of sending his audio is yeah. annoying. Pretty excruciating experience. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, you're probably happy that they have the new activity faces because that looks pretty – I mean, that, that also works very well. Yeah, I was thinking the chronograph version of that is, is my mm. answer. Yeah, that one's pretty neat. I do like the, uh, like the full-screen rings, though. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty handy. Yes, it is. And it frees up space for uh, other complications, Yeah, which there are many of. Well – I want you to keep trying the watch and report back to me because I have not yet updated the watch. I, I did update the uh, Apple TV. Oh, I did not do that. Oh, well, that was the easy one. Yeah, is it is it worth it to up? I mean, uh, not worth it. Is it are the are the new features uh, significant enough uh, for me to trade um, into those dangerous waters? Not yet, unless you have cable surfaces that you want to take advantage of single sign-on for mm. or some of these other things. Uh, you know, I, I changed the interface to dark right away mm. and 
I tried going for the new TV remote app, but I don't think I got the TV remote app to work because I'm not on iOS 10 on the phone yet. Yeah, right. And and so I wasn't able to see the fancy new remote interface and use the phone as if it were a Siri remote. But uh, it's I, I think it's one of those things where it's all of these things for the TV come together. I mean, it wasn't that strong an update in in some ways. Right. But right. Well, obviously, it wasn't as flashy as the iOS announcements or the or the revamp of the whole watch. Yeah, yeah. But it's it was an easy one to do, and I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a good one. You know, single sign-on was the biggest uh, roadblock there, and the additional services on you know Sling on on TVOS is going to be a big deal, right? Because that allows you to bring that many more channels in. Right, right. So, are you a uh, are you a Slinger? Not Joe as yet, but I'm gonna. I'm yeah, thinking yeah, I will. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it is. They're slowly creeping towards that goal. All they need now are the uh, are the partnerships. Mm-hmm. One of the things I wanted to bring up here, and and I don't know, if, did you read this article that we published about um, the accessibility address at at DDC? One of the sessions with uh, that Dan oh, published. Um, yeah, with the um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Haben Germa. Haben, yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah, that really struck me as as coming to the heart of what Apple's about. You know, and there there were a couple of things about the keynote and this session that really got to me. And one of them was was this session because Apple has always had accessibility as one of its strong points, and it's reassuring to see that even in 2016 that they're they're bringing that forward. And uh, you know, Germa talked about how Apple's work has really made the platform remove all the barriers for people. They've got voiceover for people who can't see the display, dynamic type for assisting users with low vision, captioning and videos to make things accessible for deaf users and assistive devices that expose the interfaces for digital Braille. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even honestly aware that digital Braille was available in, in iOS, but apparently it is. I um, think, uh, yeah. Well, I did. I don't know if you noticed, if you watch closely in WWDC, you can, you can uh, see a quick shot of her. Um, she was in attendance at the keynote. Uh, I saw the a, Braille keyboard in the front. Yeah. She was uh, using a screen reader to, um, or and I, I suppose, or obviously some sort of, voice uh, recognition dictation software connected to a screen reader to uh to listen to uh, all the all the announcements on monday which is kind of neat yeah um you know she she related an example an experience that is is really striking right she said that she was traveling to china and she discovered an unknown object in a hotel room that appeared to be a fruit and rather than tasting it because god knows what it is right she took a photo of it and sent it to a friend who told her the idea, the, the object is dragon fruit now, well, but she is she is vision impaired and hearing impaired, right? Yep. So she was only able to do that because the camera app is accessible with voiceover and without considering voiceover, you know, because because the developers could have easily said, why does a person who's visual and disabled need an accessible camera? Why why would a blind person take pictures? But they did it anyway, and it totally came in handy. It totally worked. Theories on uh, a date. When Apple is going to use their new uh, computer vision technology with accessibility, I, I, you know what, I, I know we are Apple Insider, and I know we talk about rumors a lot, and we're going to end up talking again about them because even though we were entirely wrong about all of the hardware announcements for WWDC, oh, let's just say that. Let's say it. You know, we didn't have a display. We didn't get a MacBook with Pro with a Touch Bar, although we we saw hints of it in the release. The, the beta release, it points to it being there, but we didn't get it. 
Yeah, right? we never really. I'm not going to make the prediction about when we're going to get vision enhancement kind of things from them. Yeah. What I do want to mention, though, because this is one that really resonated with me. I have been trying to, to get my children to be interested in programming for a while. Ooh. You know, hour of code stuff they've done. Um, they've done uh, different apps like the human resource experience app that uh, came out recently and was on the App Store featured. Right. Um, as ways of trying to interest them in doing this. And and to be honest, they're not that interested, so I don't push so hard. But I like very much the idea of Swift Playgrounds. Indeed. Yeah. The, when I saw that announced, I was like, oh, my God, I want this now. Well, not only do I want it because I want to learn it. I love it for my kids, and I like it for the idea that there, it has challenges built into it. And I like it for the idea that for years we've said – you know, people have said the the iPad is not just a content viewing device; it's a content creation device, right? Right. And and Apple said that the iPad is their vision of the future of computing. So I'm I'm pretty much banking right. Here's my rumor. Here's here's my expectation. My expectation is that years from now the Mac goes away, mm-hmm. and that the kids raised on Swift playgrounds and creating code in the iPad will be using some future version of iPad as their primary computing device. It's kind of moving in, well, How's slowly that moving in that direction. Yeah, that's, uh, that's bold. It's bold. Yeah, I'm saying. That's bold. And what's but nice I, about it is I've set it to be years out, so I can wait years to be wrong. Years, potentially after I'm dead. Well, just that, in case. That, that could be shorter than years. It could be. It's a little grim. Never know. Never know. What What parting thought do you have? What's the biggest news out of this event that you see? Um... I guess if I take a step back, it's that Apple has returned WWDC to developers. It's no longer the consumer event that it has been for the past few years. Um, they didn't announce any hardware. A lot of the stuff that they did announce was very developer-focused, and they announced a lot of stuff that will very soon help devs create you know, great products for, for consumer consumption. Um, you can kind of see that with, uh, you know, uh, mainstream coverage, uh, slight disappointment at WWDC's, WWDC's lack of announcements. Um, but there, you know, a lot of people misinterpret what this conference is all about. Right. And it's turns out it's actually for the developers. Yeah. Interesting that it's in the name. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really, uh, pleased that they've, Tim Cook's gone back to the to Apple's roots with uh, with this year's um, with this year's WWDC. I think that's the biggest takeaway. Uh, I mean, they, you can just see it's uh, for an example how much time do they spend on Swift, right? At the end of the at the end of the uh, two hour long keynote, they spent quite a bit of time, and they also spent quite a bit of time just you know talking about Swift Playgrounds, uh, time that previously would have been spent talking about some, you know throwaway ios feature that yeah. is kind of flashy you know raises excitement for the general consumer none of that my, none of that my biggest disappointment out of this whole thing mm. was so small my biggest disappointment was that cred federighi said one more thing mm. and then didn't deliver he just happened to have to say something that he'd forgotten from his script yeah <laughs> if you're going to invoke those magic three words you really have to invoke them yeah, I, I'll, I'll cut him a break since he uh, carried the entire keynote. Well, there is that. Yeah. What, you didn't like Bose? Uh, I thought it was a bit... Uh, you didn't like Bose bit, getting up and doing the whole music demo? It was 
kind of i mean it it really went with the with the dev focused theme but it was kind of awkward and oh and no. A bit no 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 it no, was a bit cringy it was a bit cringy it, no, it was so wrong it was no. but not because of what of what she was doing it was because uh, of expectations as to what the keynote is supposed to be no 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 stop right there because let me lay it out for you no lay it out break it down you you can have Eddie Q Ugh. doing his karaoke shtick for one more year in a row. Or you can have Bose, the woman that Apple hired away from PepsiCo's music group, where she was responsible for getting Beyonce into Super Bowl 47's halftime show. Yeah. This is a woman who knows her music up and down, backwards and forwards, has relationships with artists, and has pulled stuff off that you or I would not be able to do, and other people in, in her level. You know, well, I take that back. There, there aren't that many people at her level. Yeah. For her to present music to us in that way was freaking awesome. And yeah, I want she's more a, of it. She's a music nerd. And, she's fantastic. And it, it was it was great in if you have the if you go into WWDC keynote expecting uh what it what that conference is supposed to be. It's a it's a no it's a uh, it's a conference for nerds by nerds, and it's great. But and if you're she's going a music into a nerd, as you yeah, had, so she fits exactly. right in there. And yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was a bit cringe. If you were going, if you're looking at it, you know, from the standpoint of this is a product, uh, a product release kind of celebration or uh, uh, something, you know, for consumers by Apple, then it comes off a bit differently. But I think if you if you view it in the right light, it was good. Well, that's my that's my take. Fantastic. Where can people find you on the internet, Mikey Campbell? Uh, at Twitter, Mikey Campbell 81 and on Apple Insider, of course. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week of the Apple Insider podcast. And if you view Mikey Campbell in just the right light, mm -hmm. it's not cringeworthy at all. I'm Victor Marks. We'll see you next week on the Apple Insider podcast. <laughs>